Hello and welcome to Cody and Corbin Have a Podcast, the show where two former roommates talk about Barbie. Hey Barbie, can I come to your house tonight? Sure. I don't have anything big planned, just a giant blowout party with all the Barbies and plant choreography and a bespoke song. You should stop by. So cool. You can find me under the lights, diamonds under my eyes. This is the best day ever. It is the best day ever. So is yesterday and so is tomorrow and every day from now until forever. Do you guys ever think about dying? When my heart breaks. Some things have been happening that might be related. When my world shakes. Cold shower Ooh. falling off my roof. Ah! And my heels are on the ground. <gasps> Bless me! What do I have to do? You have to go to the real world. You can go back to your regular life, or you can know the truth about the universe. The choice is now yours. The first one, the high heel. You have to want to know, okay? Do it again. Closer I am to Closer I am to I'm coming with you. Okay. This is the real world. <laughs> What's going on? Why are these men looking at me? Yeah, they're also staring at me. Barbie in the real world. That's impossible. If this got out, this could mean extremely weird things for our world. This would be catastrophic! We haven't played with Barbie since we were like five years old. Oh. No one rests until this doll is back in a box. Even if nobody else sings along. Humans only have one ending. Get that Barbie! Ideas live forever. As always, I'm your host, Corbin Zavokal, and joining me is my co-host, Cody Webb. Cody, it's season six. Feels so long ago that we were just in season five. <laughs> mm. It feels like a very, very long time ago, but we made it to season six. Uh, I'm very excited for a new season of Cap, and uh, we're kicking it off with a bang here, completing the Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer. I don't even know what you call it. Sequel? Sure, not really. Force but... dyad, I think. <laughs> sure, but I'm jacked here, man. I think uh, it's gonna be a fun one, and kicking off the season with a bang here. Yeah, I mean, in true Barbenheimer double, yeah. in true Barben, it is hard. Barbenheimer is a hard thing to say. In true Barbenheimer double feature fashion, we are recording the pod back to back. We just finished the Oppenheimer pod. We talked for, you know, whatever, two hours about that movie. We got another two to do on Barbie here. Really excited to talk about this one. So let's take it away. Why? Why me? Why did you pick me? Cody, why did we want to talk about Barbie? Obviously, like we said, the Barbenheimer double feature, huge thing this weekend. I also just wanted to mention, I've had the general color themes planned out for the each each season, kind of way in advance because I had a Photoshop subscription for a mm. month and didn't want to have to get it back to change the logo. So I've got the next year, five or six seasons of logos locked and ready. And I'll tell oh. you what, Cody. The season six logo is pink. So we had to do it for the opening episode of season six. It all just worked out perfectly. 
the universe has uh, has spoken, I think, in that. And um, yeah, really, really fitting, I think, for, for episode one here. After episode one, people are going to be like, why is it pink? Because Barbie was episode one, baby, and we're not changing it. But uh, I love that. Yeah. Like you said. Have it. A, a real impact on the rest of our season and uh i'm excited to you know explore that as we go through 100 and um yeah i mean talking about just movie in general too though with barbenheimer this is the more successful movie so far this has been a massive box office hit which i'm not gonna i i thought it was gonna do well but i did not think he was going to do this well but um like you said i think this weekend in, in culmination has been just a really cool thing to see from a moviegoer's perspective. And like you said in our last episode too, the non-moviegoer's perspective. I feel like that's where this movie really capitalized in its marketing. It got kind of a lot of people who maybe wouldn't normally go out to the movies and got them in flocks to go see this flick. So I think it'll be a good, a good one to talk about. I, I've said it before, but like the Barbie and Oppenheimer just like, target audiences were so drastically different it was able to coalesce into a thing where it's like the people that would be interested in both could go see both but then also like there's a large group of people that are going to go see each individually and then barbie just kind of like proves that there is a like there is a starvation for like content that is made and made by and made for women like listen we're two guys on this podcast and we'll get into it more here in a second like but this movie isn't made for us directly and that's like a good thing because there's not enough movies that are made for other people's we get fucking an oppenheimer every year every week a movie made for us we get you know uh as, as two straight white dudes on a podcast talking about like we get every fucking movies made for us so while barbie isn't we're not necessarily the target audience of barbie we can still really enjoy and appreciate the swings and the things that it took um on and still really celebrate all the, uh, the the great things in the way that it has been such a critical hit for so many people. $162 million domestically and uh, another 194 worldwide or internationally. So for a world war- worldwide total of 356 so far. Watch out uh, Greta Gerwig. She's going to see a lot of blank checks upcoming for her uh, next few films. But yeah, love to see it perform that way. Uh, like I said, especially with the marketing campaign, you figured this movie would do pretty good, but I mean, it blew Oppenheimer out of the water opening weekend. And uh, I think Mission Impossible had quite the fall off too. So it pretty much dominated the box office. Um, kind of going into just our theater experiences, I guess a little bit here too. Do but you remember, Cody? Do you remember? Do you remember? I do recall because I actually saw it the day we are filming. Um, obviously, if you watched our Oppenheimer, I said I caught the early showing on Sunday for that flick. So after that movie, I came back and I was like, oh, I want to watch the White Sox game. I don't know why they're terrible. They blew the lead in the ninth. And um, if you're listening to this Barbie podcast, you probably don't care too much about baseball. But after that, I was like, OK, cool. I'll, I'll go see like a later showing Barbie. Dude, they were all sold out. Like the three closest AMCs and the, the two Regals that are pretty close to me. There was literally no like empty seats. So I was like, oh, crap, I guess I got to catch it um, the next day, which I obviously did. And um, I actually went into work from like eight to noon. And then I caught like the one o'clock showing of Barbie. And there were still a bunch of people in the theater. Um, it was more like uh, families. And uh, there's a couple of like, there's a lot more just like single people, which I did. And I felt a little bit weird going to this movie by myself. I'm not going to lie, <laughs> but um, it was still a good time. But yeah, I'll throw it to you. Uh, tell me about your experience. 
So this was the start of my day. Like I said, uh, me and I's movie day on Saturday. We went to the Alamo Draft House. I had a little pretzel with cheese and a Dr. Pepper mm. and uh, reclined back and enjoyed the Barbie movie. Just had a good time. Uh, this movie comes in at just under two hours. So it's a little bit more breezy than Oppenheimer. It's also just like a lot more of a lighthearted good time. Now that we've been through this weekend, if you could go back and do it all over again, where you were going to do the official double feature, which one would you watch first? Would you watch Barbie or Oppenheimer first? Good question. I think I would keep it the way I, I did watch it. But if you're doing it back to back, I think either way, really, uh, it's not going to go well. Because if I keep it the way I did watch it, where you have Oppenheimer first, you come out of that a little bit like depressed and down. Like it's definitely like a downer. I feel like philosophical. You you really think about that movie and and kind of the intentions and what it came out to be. Um, and then the, like you said in this flick, it kind of just is something completely different. And uh, it ends on on definitely a happy note, I would say. Um, but definitely some emotional stuff in this flick. Obviously, we'll get into. But yeah, tonality wise, I I think this is kind of dark side, light side in a sense which is cool for, for movies opening on the same weekend, but I would probably keep it the same, you know, go dark first and then end kind of on a, a high happy note. I think if you're going to do the the back to back, like you said, with, with no space in between, you got to do that. You got to do the, that end on the happy note. But I think if you do what I did same day, a little Barbie break, maybe a meal and then Oppenheimer, because Oppenheimer, you gotta, you can't come out and have it be daytime. Like what, what was, what was that experience? Like you're, you're in Oppenheimer and you walk out and the fucking sun's blaring down. I, I just don't think that works. You can't have that. It's gotta be night. You gotta be stewing in your feelings. <laughs> Fair enough. I did walk out of uh, the daytime for both these flicks. So can't relate, but yeah, I think Oppenheimer is definitely more of a night movie and, and uh, Barbie's more of a day movie. Yeah, I agree. Initial thoughts, Cody. Was this movie what you expected it to be? I want to start with that question. Yeah, I think that's a great question to hop on because uh, I think on the pod uh, in the past even said, I don't know what this movie is going to be. Like, I know Greta Gerwig's directing. I know the cast. I like all those people. Noah Baumbach is obviously your boy who you like a lot. But the trailers, it was kind of the weird 2000 Space Odyssey one off the bat, which is obviously the opening of this film too, which I do like a lot. I'm not going to lie. But I just didn't know tonality because then it just looked like all this kind of, it looked just like a normal Barbie movie. And I didn't really know the tone. I mean, stuff in the trailers is primarily taken from the first 20 minutes of the film, the majority of the trailer, I would say. And I mean, the trailer, I feel like is mostly comedy based. And I think that's what this movie is. But it is also a lot of other things. Um, And I think that really was not marketed at all, um, which I like, which I say a ton, like, don't show me anything in the trailers. They really didn't show the core of the the main messagings or the main themes in this movie. And I'll just kick right into it, too, because that was pretty much the first thing I wanted to talk about is I really like the direction of this film. Um, obviously, I think Greta Gerwig is is a very, very good director. I know she's one of your favorites working today. And Important to know, not the first time we, we've discussed her on this podcast. Shout out to our Lady Bird episode. So Greta Gerwig, we're two, we're two, we're two out of three for her. So maybe yeah. we'll get the Little Women pod coming soon. The great thing is she's so early in her career as well. So she's got a lot of movies left to make, which I'm excited about. But yeah, direction wise, I mean, just it delves into pretty much just the major society society issues that America is facing today and the world's facing today, uh, I guess, to be fair. But kind of how women are treated, it really does focus on like this patriarchal society. Like that's a main plot point. 
um, throughout, but it's in this kind of goofy, family-friendly comedy setting. And I just think the way that it was integrated was done very, very well. Uh, and it's it a very been. effective Trojan horse of big ideas and big thoughts using Barbie. Yeah, 100%. And I think initially, too, when I did find out that Greta Gerwig was, like, attached to this film, I was like, doesn't really make sense based off of, like, past stuff going to, like, you know, a major studio movie about, like, toys and stuff. But in hindsight, I think it makes a lot of sense. And um, I'm happy that Greta Gerwig took this project because I think it was pretty much right in her wheelhouse. And I honestly don't know if anybody could have done it any better than herself. So, yeah, the direction for me was was honestly the big standout thing off the top. Do you know uh, really anything about the history of the development of this film, Cody? I have no idea. I would assume, I mean, Mattel doesn't really make movies, so I assume it was in production hell for a little bit. Yeah, so Mattel originally sold the rights to Sony back in 2009 that there was uh, early developments on. It went through various, you know, different treatments and different filmmakers attached to it. I think around 2016, Amy Schumer was brought in and she was going to play Barbie. So that was obviously going to be like a different take, um, more of like a satire of the character. And then she was announced very shortly after that she was leaving due to scheduling conflicts because they were trying to like attach people and start shooting like right away. They wanted to make this happen. Recently, she said that it was creative differences that changed things. And then following Amy Schumer, it was Anne Hathaway was going to play the lead role of Barbie. And that was a big thing. But then that again just didn't work out. Um, I don't even think Anne Hathaway ever really like agreed to do it, but like she was the person they wanted really bad. After being in development hell for so long, it left Sony and Warner Brothers picked it up, which is who the current owner of the film was and distributor of the film. They picked it up and that was when Margot Robbie got attached. So she was the first person who came in and they were like, we want you to play Barbie, which I mean, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. That's It's a pretty easy line to draw there that you would pick Margot Robbie. But they also said, you know, hey, we want you to produce it. She was heavily involved with kind of the pitching and the idea making the process. And she's the person that decided to go to Greta Gerwig with this project um, and saw her as a really, you know, influential women voice in the world of filmmaking. She loved Little Women, what she kind of did there with a piece of IP and adapted it into a modern sense. And, you know, that's where uh, Gerwig gets brought in. And I think she's really the only director that could work on such a large scale effectively and tell the story in the right way that I think is working right now. Yeah, I completely agree, honestly. And uh, I mean, mentioning Margot Robbie, that is really cool that she's a major kind of player in this movie too. Dude, let her direct something like this. I think that'd be good, but. I, I'm, was... I'm curious to see. I think it, it is not long before we see a Margot Robbie directed movie. She's obviously produced quite a few films her production company worked on promising young women two years ago which is oscar nominated she's had producerial roles on the different harley quinn stuff that she's done and then now of course this movie so i I wouldn't be surprised if if we didn't see that soon yeah and she's become a lot more respected i think she's still kind of new to the scene in a sense in hollywood she's almost been around 10 years i think so wolf of wall street was 2013 the big breakout so yeah so that's cool and yeah i'm sure she'll get a lot more opportunities and and definitely well deserved but that was my second main point too. I, I think the cast in here is great. It's it's similar to Oppenheimer and there's a bunch of people in this, uh, but the the main two of uh, Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling, I think are almost irreplaceable in a sense. It's, it's hard for me to imagine kind of anybody else in these roles. Margot Robbie obviously carries most of the movie on her back specifically, but I think Ryan Gosling is, is one of the unsung people in Hollywood and he kind of has an interesting character in this. It's uh, Ken, uh, the main Ken, I guess, is 
is not completely what I expected, but I think he's really, really good. And um, he really shows off his acting chops, I think, a lot in this, too, because his character shifts a lot. He's singing. He's dancing. He, he's really doing it all. But in many Marvel. ways, the antagonist of this film. So, really yeah, I mean, he's, he's got to play a lot. Yeah. And I mean, the cast from there on, you can name all the Kens and the Barbies. Um, Simu Liu, I think, is great. And um, Will Ferrell's also in it, too, which which I think is really fun. But the cast is almost as big as Oppenheimer, funny enough. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it was it was always it was the constant tweets of, oh, this person was cast in Barbie, this person was cast in Oppenheimer. And then it's crazy that they ended up coming out on the same day. Uh, important to note, like I said on Tenet episode, but this is like uh, a Warner Brothers film. And they did very clearly release this indirect competition with Christopher Nolan. Obviously, like you said at the top of the episode, it did win technically. I mean, I, it was beneficial for everybody. I think movies won as a whole, but you know, they did get the uh, higher price tag at the end of the day. Yeah, that is honestly really ironic. And I feel like Christopher Nolan probably is a little bit mad. Like Warner Brothers released a movie on the same day as him. If it had been like, and I, the thing is, like, if it had been a, a closer, like an IMAX movie or like an action blockbuster or even like a yeah. biopic more similarly, it would be worse. These, again, are enough different that it, it kind of worked out in favor. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody was affected of, you know, having to choose between these two movies and only choosing to see Barbie, especially in the whole Barbenheimer thing going down. Um, if there was cross, you know, uh, contamination of wanting to see both movies. People just saw both movies. I don't think that was an issue anyways. But I don't think any of like the big Barbie fans were, you know, gauging to see Oppenheimer day one or kind of vice versa. But like I said, I mean, they both made money. It is funny that the Warner Brothers movie made a lot more than, than Christopher Nolan's Night's Night, though. Let's talk about the cast with our first new category. Mm-hmm. IMDb known for. Do I know you? I mean, where do I know you from? We're going to take a look at our two lead actors, Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie, as well as Greta Gerwig, and just take a look at what IMDb says they're known for. Let's start with Mogar- Margot Robbie. All right, so first up, Suicide Squad 2016 is her first one on here. And then The Wolf of Wall Street, I, Tanya, and Birds of Prey. What's your reaction to those four movies as Margot Robbie's four movies? Yeah, you know, Suicide Squad 2016 kind of being her top thing. I don't know. I, I don't particularly love that. I feel like she is, or at least from my perspective, and this is kind of, I feel like, where our perspectives really shine through because like moviegoers or movie lovers, I guess, in a sense, are going to be like, that's the girl from Wolf of Wall Street. Like, But like a big mainstream, like big studio, I guess, superhero movie. Yeah, Harley Quinn is is definitely what she's known for, but I always definitely think of her first from from more for Wall Street personally. They're both supporting roles. I would say she has more to do in Suicide Squad, so I guess that's why you could say you could put that at number one. I yeah. think obviously Harley Quinn has to be represented on the list. It is her most iconic role. You've got Birds of Prey in there, the one that she stars in. Suicide Squad is there just because it's the first one, right? I would maybe be okay with it switching out for the Suicide Squad, but it is just because it's the first one. I, Tanya, has to make the list nominated for Best Actress um, for that one. Notable things that I think are left off is maybe Bombshell. Obviously, not a ton of people saw that, but again, that's another Oscar nominee. And then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood would be the only other one. But again, her role is so minor, despite her presence in the film and like her presence in the marketing of the film being so big she is 
plays a rather small role in the film. Yeah, that was definitely my uh, main one that I would add into the the mix. Honestly, she it's surprising, honestly, because she really has not been in a ton of like good stuff. I think The Wolf of Wall Street is probably the best movie that she's in. And then after that, I agree, Once Upon a Time, uh, Once, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, yeah. I think it's another really good movie that she's in too. But like you said, she's really not um, focused on a ton in that flick. Even though she plays somebody famous, I don't even remember who it is, somebody from the Sharon 50s. Tate. Yeah, sure. You could have said any name there and I would have said, yeah. But um, <laughs> I agree. I think I would swap Suicide Squad out and then maybe leave Birds of Prey in at the number four spot. Just because I think that is a better movie than, than Suicide Squad, and it's her movie. Obviously, I would prefer to have the Suicide Squad in um, over just normal Suicide Squad, but again, that's that's not really her movie. So I want to have at least a couple on there that like she's the absolute star of, which I, Tanya, I think, is definitely one, obviously, and then Birds of Prey would be the other. But I don't know who likes Suicide Squad. I don't know why that's kind of number one, but it is what it is. It's tough to have your uh, your your best known film as a five point nine out of ten on IMDb. Um, Birds of Prey also can get in there as well because she is uh, listed as the producer for that film, so that one helps. True, true. Let's talk about her counterparts. Four known fours. This is an interesting one: Blue Valentine, mm-hmm. La La Land, Drive, and The Notebook are Ryan Gosling's four. Yeah. That's the not the four movies i know him from <laughs> but maybe they're the four that most people would yeah it is interesting and i think the really one that stands out to me is probably blue valentine obviously that's an older movie too i've not seen that flick to be fair i've heard it's like really really kind of depressing and uh that makes me want to watch it even less now that i've heard that about it but uh, la la land i feel like that's an obvious one that should definitely be in there um, the notebook i think that's understandable just because that i feel like that's really kind of his big breakout, breakout. yeah that's that's what i would yeah. say and he's known kind of for the love story stuff too a little bit so i think that's okay and then drives another weird one too where that one's like randomly really iconic for him even though nobody's seen it like if you ask yeah. the average person have you seen drive no but like I mean, let's be honest. It's the sick-ass scorpion jacket that he wears. That's why. And it's just like the vibes of that movie. But like, it it is so weird because that movie is so culturally significant, but also completely insignificant. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Like nobody, I feel like really talks about that movie, but it's kind of just like a deep cut, like movie lover thing of, of liking that movie. Also his character, he doesn't really do any acting in that so i don't think that's his best kind of just you know role together i'll throw a couple out here that are completely obvious but i mean blade runner 2049 where is that on this list i feel like that has to be on here obviously i'm biased with the knee but that's a ridiculously good flick and then a couple others the nice guys i would definitely maybe include that's then- the one that like i'm not a huge fan of that movie but like i know so many people just love the nice guys and think that's just like the best movie ever and it's like their favorite ryan gosling performance I feel like that's a fan favorite that gets underlooked a lot. And I could see that uh, j- jumping into the four here. Agreed. And another one I think that would have a good shot at the four too is uh, Crazy Stupid Love, which I know you like that movie a lot too. But just going off like the rom com stuff, uh, I think he's really good at that. If you're going to include The Notebook, I would maybe include that. My personal four would probably be uh, La La Land, uh, Blade Runner 2049, The Nice Guys, uh... I guess I'll go, no, I'll go crazy stupid love. 
because I don't like the notebook that much. So I'd pretty much replace this entire list, I'm being honest. I think I'd swap drive, drive and Blue Valentine for Blade Runner and probably the Night Skies. I will admit, though, I've never seen Blue Valentine, so maybe I'm underlooking incredible and yeah i've heard that's pretty good to be fair i mean yeah blade runner has an eight out of ten on uh these imdb ratings too so i mean that's tied with la la land for the highest ranking i i, I truly do not understand why that's not on there but he, he's the lead too at, like that that doesn't make any sense but imdb welcome to season six baby you're already making me mad <laughs> all right crazy one for greta gerwig here here's the four uh, yeah I wonder lady bird writer <laughs> Francis Ha, where she plays Francis, Mistress America, where she plays Brooke, and Greenberg, where she plays Florence Marr. I have not seen Mistress America. I don't really know very much about that. It's a 2015 Noah Baumbach movie. Um, so that kind of makes sense. But it is interesting to see that three of her four are acting roles and not, not directorial or writing roles. Obviously, Lady Bird has to be on there. It's got to be number one. Frances Hall also makes a lot of sense to me being in the four because she did co-write it and she's the star of the film. Greenberg is a movie that her and Ben Stiller both star in and it's another Noah Baumbach directed one. So to me, that kind of makes sense in terms of just star power because you've got Ben Stiller there, but I don't think it's a great movie and I don't think she necessarily shines particularly well in it. For me, I think you, you gotta have, I mean, at this point you gotta throw Barbie in there. Like, I think it's gotta be up there and I think you gotta have Little Women. I think it's, it should be, Ladybird, Francis Hall, Little Women, Barbie. Maybe that's discounting her role as an actress, but I don't know how interested she is with that moving forward. Obviously, she did star in White Noise last year, so maybe if she continues to pursue acting, we can keep it as like a two-two split. But Ladybird, Francis Ha, Barbie, those three have to be on there at this point. Yeah, I agree. And maybe it's just a recency thing of they haven't gotten Barbie on there yet. I'd assume that's that's on the way soon, if if not immediately. But yeah, I, I don't really understand this one either. Obviously, I think you uh, know her body of work a little bit better than myself. But even if you are going like the actress angle on here, I feel like White Noise probably should be on here then. And if you're not, even if you are, I feel like Little Women has to be on this list. Um, that's the obvious, obvious, you know, left out thing here. But I haven't seen uh, Mistress America or Greenberg, to be completely fair. So maybe she's really good in those. But yeah, this list is kind of strange too. I feel like in a week, maybe it'll be like Little Women and Barbie. And it'll be like, oh, IMDb finally updated their page on, on Greta Gerwig. But kind of a weird one in here too. I, 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 that's why I think this makes this an interesting category. Because you can look yeah. at someone and be like, you know, is this the four movies? And, and kind of, you know, you'll, you'll learn something. You'll find a new performance. I might have to go check out Mistress America and see what it's all about. True. This is also just a shout out to IMDb. Hire us. We're sitting here just <laughs> critiquing you. So we we, we, we should be the people who make the four. Yeah. <laughs> don't need help. Don't, don't, don't let I, AI take jobs away from humans. Give, <laughs> give us that job. True. <laughs> We're exposing the flaws of the computer. Let's move on to the good, the bad, and the ugly. start with the good as always i mentioned it off the top greta gerwig i think was the perfect person to direct this film 
specifically because of the, the subject matter that she began to identify and take on in it. Um, you can see in movies like White Noise where it's really focused on this idea of death and the anxiety of living and what that means. And you can look at her movies like Frances Ha where she herself is kind of coming of age or Lady Bird where she's you know performing an analog and, and having Sir Sharona uh, come of age in that movie where it's like very clear uh, that she has a deep understanding and a, a deep interest in that in what it means to kind of grow older and what it means to find your place in the world and also what it means to um, maybe you know think about death and confront your own mortality and when you take those and ideas in combination with her I mean her experience of being a woman and just like living in the world every single day and and knowing what that's like and having those life experiences and also having worked on you know, uh, taking that path of independent cinema through writing Francis Ha up to taking, you know, writing the movie about what you know in Lady Bird and then taking on a piece of IP, albeit an old book in Little Woman and showing that you can do that. And then taking the big studio franchise IP with Barbie, like it all just made sense so perfectly. And this was just the right time for her to take on something like this. I know there's been some skepticism and, you know, I shared a little bit as well with some reporting that's been done about, you know, her directing these two Netflix Narnia movies and, you know, what her career looks like going forward. But I'm just excited to see her get a ton of money and get a chance to do what she wants because this movie in someone else's hands could have been so awful. And I, I still am a little um, wary about the fact that it was a Mattel endorsed movie that is both critiquing the system and acting inside the system. And there's some things that I, you know, I'm a little eh about, but I still think it is uh, really amazing what she's able to achieve in the commentary that she's able to produce in a movie about a fucking doll. Yeah, completely agree. Um, and it is, it is crazy, like you're saying, just to, to get a movie like this with such like societal impact like you said, just from a Barbie movie. And I genuinely don't know if anybody else like at the helm would be able to achieve that. So props off the bat. The Narnia thing wise, I'm kind of excited about that. Uh, I, I like grew up reading Narnia and obviously the movies that came out were pretty, pretty effing terrible. So I would love to see a readaptation of that where they do it right. Kate McKinnon um, is the white witch. <laughs> I'm here for it. I, I like Kate McKinnon, which I'm getting into, but yeah, I think uh, Greta Berger, like, like I said, and you said both like, she's going to get the opportunity to pretty much do whatever she wants. I think going forward, especially being such a young kind of filmmaker that she hasn't made that many movies, but the few that she has made have all been very good. So yeah, give her the Nolan treatment. I think somebody, somebody else give her a max contract and uh, I'm excited definitely to see what comes down from her too. A lot of my good uh, kind of just centers around some of the cast stuff in general. So I'll touch on that. We've already talked about Margot Robbie a little bit, but this movie is pretty much on her shoulders entirely. I was pretty surprised um, pretty early on. Obviously, they go to the real world, which is in the trailer. Everybody knows that's going to happen. But then Ryan Gosling, he kind of, he leaves the real world fairly early on. I was like, oh man, like Marco Robbie is all here on her own. Uh, like, I don't know where this movie's really going. But I think they did it well just because they did the whole fish out of water thing. But then they had like a quick relationship builder with who with her and that family who I didn't know they were even kind of a part of the movie at all. The specific scene where she goes to the lunch table and just gets verbally taken down by the daughter character. I thought it was actually a really good scene kind of 
thematically and just uh kind of fun quippy like just a fun scene in a movie altogether because it was really showing the flaws of like the modern barbie in today's era being like oh this is like you know what you put out there as like kind of like the ideal unrealist yeah unrealistic yeah. expectations and, like yeah, nobody's yeah. ever going to hold up to these standards and you're you're a part of the issue you're not helping the issue or anything like that so i thought like thematically just kind of barbie psyche of, of hearing that is fun and then also she's just getting you know just absolutely you know demonized by this this daughter character who we don't really know anything about but then like their relationship they call her a fascist <laughs> she calls her fascist dude a lot of good one-liners and that's the thing that the movie has a lot of too is just quick quippy lines of dialogue of kind of just pointing out society factors that um like obviously a lot of people can relate to so i think there's a lot of that good stuff but I thought Margot Robbie, even without kind of any of the supporting other Barbie, you know, land characters was still really good and kind of carrying the plot of the movie. The thing that I think Noah Baumbach does better than almost anyone else is write great dialogue. And I think that's where like his work on the screenplay is probably most well felt like he's coming up. I'm sure he came up with a lot of like funny little one-liners and stuff like that. Um, And I already touched on Ryan Gosling being good. The other, there's two other performances I want to quickly touch on. I, I didn't know Simu uh, Liu was going to be in this movie as what as much as he was. He really wasn't in a ton, but he was pretty much the other main pen, obviously, other than Gosling. But I thought he was really good. The uh, the last dance battle that they have uh, just had me absolutely dying. And pretty much every time he was on screen, I, I feel like comedically, his timing with Ryan Gosling was, was just really, really good. So I love him. And the other one, I don't know... I could be on the minority of this too, but I, I like Will Ferrell in this movie. Just like give me tiny little sprinkles of like Will Ferrell comedy, like at the halfway mark. Ha- you mean the then... son of a mother? <laughs> yeah. Nephew of a woman aunt? Yeah, and that's friend that's of where... many Jewish people. <laughs> that's where um yeah, he just like threw in a Jewish line too for no reason. But I feel like that is kind of some of the problematic stuff a little bit in this movie where it is the Mattel meta stuff. But in a sense, they are still the problem, um, even though they are making a movie like this. And then to include yourself as kind of like the villains, but you you're, you're parroting the thing. But it's like Mattel really does have a yeah. male CEO and a male like they're sure there are there are women in prominent roles of leadership. And as featured in the movie, like the creator and first president of Mattel was a woman, Ruth, yeah. um, as you see in the film. So like. <clears throat> there is a better history of female involvement in the corporation Mattel, but it's not like, it's not much better than what they portray in the film. Yeah. It's like, you're making fun of it, but it's most likely true. Most parts in, in real life. So it is what it is. But... It's, it's easy to be like, Hey, I'll be the butt of the joke when I'm a billionaire. <laughs> not yeah. probably not billionaire. when I'm a multimillionaire, I don't know how well the Mattel CEOs are doing. <laughs> yeah, but, but regardless, I like Will Ferrell. I like how they just threw him into the third act too, because you kind of go back to Barbie world and there's a lot of emotional stuff happening. And then Will Ferrell kind of just like shows up at the end and just says a bunch of stupid crap uh, after that too. So I like him in the flick. Uh, the supporting cast is all really good. I think maybe they were underutilized in some parts, which I'll definitely get to, but I'll throw it back over to you. You got, you got some more good? Yeah, I mean, talking about performances, obviously Margot Robbie is like so good in this. And she, I mean, she's good in everything. That was not unexpected whatsoever. Um, but then also rush out America Ferreira because I think she is was the big surprise for me. Like you said, you didn't even really know that that like mother-daughter relationship was going to be in this movie. I didn't either. Um, and she's like, not if you go to the IMDb page and you like look at the cast, like she's not even 
here on the list of people. Like she's so deep buried. I don't know what she was billed, but to me, I think she plays an extremely pivotal role in the plot of the film. Um, so I think I, I just definitely wanted to shout uh, her out for sure. And uh, her role is Gloria, the mom. Um, and yeah. I thought that was kind of a cool twist, even though it's not like, to me, it's not like that surprising because it's very obvious in the way they're framing the scene. That's like, oh, they're not revealing the mother here. That's for a reason. But I think it was really interesting that it was like, oh, it's the mom who's been having these anxieties and these fears. And that's what's manifesting in Margot Robbie's part. Yeah. I agree. I think she was actually really good. Um, and like you said, I didn't see any kind of marketing material or anything that indicating she had a bigger role and her daughter too. Fun fact about uh, the daughter, the actress, I was looking into her IMDb and one of the first things that came up was um, Avengers Infinity War. She actually played uh, young Gamora uh, in that flick. So kind of a cool thing for her. I, I think she'll Perfectly be... balanced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfectly balanced. This whole thing should be. Which um, those were some like deeper emotional scenes as well. So I do think she's a good actress. Um, and that kind of leads into the last thing I wanted to talk about here in the good too. Sort of the emotional stuff at the end. It did kind of catch me off guard because I feel like the majority of this movie, like I said, is kind of this family friendly comedy, a lot of quips. Obviously, there's a lot of societal stuff it delves into. But then at the end of like Margot Robbie, or I guess Barbie kind of turning into this human and just like overwhelmed with all these human emotions of like growing up old and you know the idea of you just want to experience life but then also some days there's just like some days you're just trying to make it through the day and it's like unbelievably relatable obviously and everybody can can kind of go towards that but i thought it was a good conclusion and kind of just well written and well directed and something i didn't expect the other thing i like too about kind of the ending in general is they didn't kind of force like Barbie and and Ken to kind of fall in love, which is something I kind of expected them to do, honestly, because they do it in every movie you know ever created. But I like that kind of messaging too, of like, you know, there shouldn't be a conclusion for a female character in every movie that their conclusion is just, oh, they fall in love and that's what they get in life. Um, so I think that's a good movie trope that they're kind of pointing out as something that, you know, we, we can kind of slow down in, in the genre altogether, because I think that's definitely overplayed. Yeah, and I mean, I think it, it does a good job of, of acknowledging like the ideas that like in this world, it's not like you don't have to be in a romantic relationship to find fulfillment. You also don't have to like be like the, the matriarchy of, of Barbie land isn't perfect for everybody and the patriarchy of our world isn't perfect for everybody either. Like there has to be a mix and an equality to everything. And like, you guys have to kind of like find your own interests and not like be at the expense of each other to, to really be successful and to be happy. And that would be like the idealized world. So I think it does a good job of like acknowledging the needs of, of both the men and the women in its, uh, in its characters. 100%. And that's, that's a, the good arc, I think, with uh, Ryan Gosling's Ken too, is he doesn't really know what he's doing with his life. He's, he, he turns into, you know, being obsessed over, you know, this fun girl to just completely pretty much getting his heart broken and turning on a dime to this you know patriarchal asshole i guess in a sense to say and then comes back around to being like i don't know like who i even am and i think that's a like i said ryan ryan gosling really has i think some good chops to show that off you know the character movement but at least there's a lot of development with these with these kind of uh you know uh dull characters which i didn't expect either so definitely an interesting yeah. screenplay i think this film uh is gonna get some production design, costuming, hair and makeup, Oscar oh. nominations for sure. 
Um, I think those are all so well executed and so great. Every Barbie outfit, every little piece of Barbie world is so intricately planned and really well done. Um, also, it's really cool because like it's intentionally this like artificial fake world that they've built. And it's inspired by a lot of like 60s musicals. I have a quote from Berwick here. She said, uh, those old musicals, they have a high, such a, such a high level of what we came to call authentic artificiality. You have a painted sky and a sound stage, which is an illusion, but it's also really there. The painted backdrop is really there. The tangibility of the artifice is something that we kept going back to. And I think that's the thing where it's like, in, today in movies, everything's fake, but it's fake in the sense that they're on a blue screen and they build everything out in CGI. This is like real sets that are being built and it's like they're painting on the wall and it's like a very particular um, aesthetic that I think really fits the Barbie world. And it, you know, it reminds me a lot of Truman Show, which is you know a clear influence on this film. Um, even Gerwig said she talked to like Peter Weir about how to make you know some of the things in this movie work in the same way he made him work in, in Truman Show. That's a really good comparison, honestly. I didn't think of that. But yeah, set-wise, I feel like they are very, very similar. So that was a good point. Um, but I agree completely. I mean, uh, kind of the the different technicals that maybe Oppenheimer is going to win, uh, the rest of them might go to this movie. Like you said, costume design, hairstyling. I think that's almost a shoe in at this point. Um, even from your background alone, uh, just uh, Kate McKinnon's character probably takes that uh, pretty easily in that reel. But yeah, I think, um, like you said, a technical standpoint and a directorial standpoint, tough to beat in this movie. It's it's pretty high quality stuff all around. And you can tell there's a lot of effort kind of put in every shot, too, which is definitely a, you know, a good thing to say. I love all the different Barbies. I love all the different Kens. I like the different iterations of them. I think Weird Barbie is a really cool idea. This like, you know, everybody's seen the doll that's been beaten up by the kid and the hair's been cut off. And I mean, yeah, exactly. It's, we've seen it done in Toy Story. And and having that like manifestation of the character also like it being pivotal to the plot is really interesting as well. Do you think the different Barbies are just another symptom of the fucking multiversal epidemic that has happened to filmmaking? <laughs> another multiverse movie. We thought we were done with it. <laughs> um yeah they kept talking about like a crack in the the space-time continuum or, or something along that lineage so it never All connected ended. man 2023 the year of multiverse <laughs> last thing i wanted to talk about and i think you've mentioned it a little bit but like the marketing of this film we've got a shout out i mean it's in you know shut up the capitalistic machine working, whatever. But um, it is like really impressive what they've been able to do with this movie. Just the absolute like takeover, all the product integration. If you fucking Google Barbie right now, your whole screen turns pink. It's absolutely unbearable. You can <laughs> Google Greta Gerwig and the same shit happens. Like go on Letterboxd and you like the movie and the, the heart is pink. Listen, I love it, but at times it's a little much, but it's also impressive. <laughs> Hey, Cap, Cap logo is turning pink. I thought we were on board, dude. It's true. <laughs> We've been infected. We've been branded. <laughs> Tough. Any other uh, good things you want to mention here, Cody? Um, oh, I mean, the opening sequence, like I already said, I think I covered most everything, but I do really like the, the 2001 kind of uh, parody of the kids smacking the dolls. And um, obviously you recently just watched yeah. that. You got that reference in at least before, but I, I like that a lot too. I think it's a brilliant opening it's going to lead me into my bad mm -hmm. because I just wish there wasn't narration over the top of it. Okay. One of the things about 2001 is like 
how little dialogue is used throughout. And I think if this movie had like opened exactly the same way where it's just the 2001 opening with the baby dolls and you don't have the Helen Mirren narration, I think it's a lot more effective. And honestly, just fucking get rid of the Helen Mirren narration for the entire movie. To me, that's like the most pointless part. You don't need that to set up. You can understand what's happening without a narrator explaining it to you. And I think it's a little bit lazy. And I think it exists for a joke about two thirds of the way into the movie more than anything. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, I do like that joke a lot though. And it's definitely um, 100% correct, but I agree. I feel like the Helen Mirren kind of added in post kind of has that feeling like maybe they had a couple test screenings and little kids were like, I don't understand this part. So like, oh, let's just be lazy with the family comedy and, and throw narration with, you know, some big name actress. I mean, they got Helen Mirren in the movie. I really was hoping that she was going to like show up at the end or something. Uh, but unfortunately, we didn't get that. But well, and that's the weird thing is because you have like the Ruth stuff where there's like the narrations acting kind of in tandem with her character where it was like why not just have her be the narrator like yeah. i get it. it's like helen mirren has a great voice and sure she's going to be in fast x and shazam fear the gods and she's got to get her paycheck but like come on just let the ruth actress do it and that then it's like oh she was the narrator the whole time yeah that would have made a lot more sense and like i said i mean narration is just lazy in general so not necessary i don't think what do you got for the bad man um, I have a couple of random things. Uh, I'll just start off with the most random one off the top, but I already mentioned, I, I like Kate McKinnon's character and I like her arc too. Kind of, um, at the end, everyone's like, oh man, we've kind of been, uh, you know, an asshole, this girl for no reason. Um, but my one gripe with her and every time she does, like, she does a bunch of like flips and crap and then she's always doing the splits. <laughs> it's like clearly not Kate McKinnon doing the splits. It's just like, you know, a, a prop leg up against the wall the entire time. So I wasn't a big fan of that. It doesn't look the best, but I love the idea of it because it's that thing. <laughs> it's like you get a Barbie and you just like fucking throw them on the yeah. ground. Like, you know, she's she's been through it, man. She's uh she's a little bit looser, her hinges, than the average boy. I like the idea of it too. I just I don't love the execution and the look. Past that, you were mentioning kind of the entire cast of Barbies and Ken's too. I think they get a little bit lost in the mix a bit. It would have been cool to see a little bit more differentiation. I agree with that. Like, what is Similio's deal versus Ken? What is uh, Shui Gatui's? Like, different people's, like, the different Kens and Barbies. Like, what's up with them? There's, like, a tiny bit of character development with those characters, but not really. Like, the president character I thought was an interesting one, but you really didn't see that much from her other than, oh, she's brainwashed, and now she's not brainwashed. Like you said, Similio, uh, we saw a little bit of him, but not a ton. I mean, they have like a lot of other bigger names too that I just want to see more like Emma Mackey, uh, Dua Lipa's barely in the movie. I don't even know why she's in there. Um, Gravik from Secret Invasion. The, uh, that guy from Sex Education. His name's playing... Kingsley Benadir, right? Who's yes. that? The guy from Sex That's... Education? No, no, no. Kingsley Benadir is the Secret Invasion guy. Oh, Kingsley Benadir. Sure. And then Shudi Gatwa is the Sex Shudy Education Gatwa. doctor. Who, the yeah. doctor. Yeah, like I feel like he, he's the doctor. Give him at least more than like five lines. And then there's the other guy from sex education too, the Mattel guy, right? Connor Swindell. Yeah. <laughs> Big sex, sex education guys too, which I know you like, but. Uh, oh yeah. We'll be talking about it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I just feel like the side characters, they're kind of left to the side, which is fair just because it leaves a lot more development for like Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. But 
I would have liked to see him. Well, that's the thing. That's the difference between the two-hour movie and the three-hour movie. You add an extra hour, and then every side character gets another scene. <laughs> I guess that's fair, but it's like, why are you casting all these people if you're not going to give them anything to do, you know? Hey, I'll, I'll, I'd say the same thing to Chris Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair. That's what Roger Krul said, but nobody listened to him. So. <laughs> Gary Oldman, man. He was, uh, he was there. Oh, you know Oldman loved that performance. But uh, I'll throw it back to you. I have one other thing, too, but you got any more bads? I was a little... Maybe the horse thing, like I just don't think that really worked for me. Okay. Like as a like as a man, Cody, do you feel like a deep connection to horses? Like I'm just not sure what they were going for. I mean, why is Ryan Gosling a horse boy? He's a horse girl, yeah. Um, you know, I like horses. I guess they're men extenders. I mean, I guess. Yeah, he saw he saw like, you know, people of authority of police officers riding horses. But I feel like uh people don't really ride horses that much like if you came to yeah like if you came to the modern world would you really become obsessed with horses especially la like i I don't even buy that he saw a horse it's a little yes is there like a a weird or something going on like why would there be cops out on horses just riding around definitely strange i think including that but maybe that's like a a ken i do like the mount horsemore that they they build to the horses that that's fun (laughs) i like how ken out um barbie's house to like a, a complete remodel just like there's like tvs which is like horses on them everywhere so i like that and in the whole cowboy get up i thought that was a good look throughout the film too it's a weird energy for sure one more thing i'll say um i i do think when they first get to the real world things kind of eh, for me a little bit and even like the first interactions with Will Ferrell I'm not a huge fan of I wasn't that's the point in the movie where it's like I think I know where this is going but then it starts to be like maybe I don't and I was and then it kind of wraps back around it's like okay this all worked out in a way that makes sense but I hate the like bit of them getting arrested twice and then getting let out right like this all that doesn't really make sense and then like you said Ryan Gosling just leaves right away and to me things kind of hit a bit of a snag there and then eventually they, they get better once we get to like the core relationship dramas of, of the uh, mother-daughter stuff. I agree. Um, it doesn't even make sense like why they even got arrested the first time because that guy obviously just came up and, you know, just just slapped her. So well, that's I mean, the problem with our fucking policing system, Cody. Yeah. <laughs> All said, I guess. But the second time makes sense. I mean, they, they just straight up just stole some clothes, which they were allowed to keep for some reason. So shout out to the police. I guess they're they're bad, but they're also kind of nice. book them and then they got out on bail right away that, yeah, that was just yeah. strike two they've got one more yeah also if you get booked twice in the same day by the same people they're not let, letting you go by any means i don't know if they retake your mug shot <laughs> do they need another mug shot <laughs> uh well we can find out i guess i have no idea um but my <laughs> big thing too and i think this is just a greta gerberg problem for me i don't think the script is necessarily what makes this movie good in my eyes i think the script is it's kind of mid other than obviously those quippy lines you were talking about, I think it's okay. I think the overall themes in the movie are much more strong and kind of carry it through. But like you're saying, it, it definitely drags at times. The stuff with Mattel is just comedy based pretty much. And like the movement from uh, the Barbie world to the real world and then back to the Barbie world, it's kind of like we didn't really need to go to the real world other than just setting up this family dynamic. But I feel like we stayed there a little bit too long. And then once we get back, it's obviously changed completely. And it's kind of just a shell shock of the whole Ken society or whatever. So I don't know. I feel like you could have made this a little bit smoother of a transition um, and probably could have cut out like 10 minutes or so somewhere in here. 
or just add on like an entirely another app and, and add on a half hour. I would have been fine with honestly too, but I don't know that I don't think the script is really the standout. I think it is more the direction and, and like the overall themes. Well, I, I kind of agree with you because I think the moment when it like most effectively communicates its ideas and emotions is the scene when you get the like cross but dissolved between her crying eye and then you see all the imagery of the various women from different time periods which if you don't know as a listener uh that was all like cast and crew family and friends like that the people that made the movie happen contributed like here are the people here are the women in our in my life that mean a lot to me and are, are, are pivotal and, and have affected me and they got to actually shine in the movie which is kind of a cool metatextual moment but to me like that movie that moment exists without the dialogue and yes there's like a couple lines right before they kind of set up the ideas but to me like the best moments are just like the filmmaking and showing me the stuff on screen and, and hearing the music and hearing the editing or, and seeing the editing happen um, that's like the stuff that's really moving here and that's where she's effective as a director beyond like you said the screenplay at yes agreed and I wanted to say too I feel like that's some of the similar issues I had with uh, Lady Bird where maybe the structure of kind of like the script in the film isn't the best but all the moments and stuff is is really what makes it great so yeah maybe just stop working with Baumbach so much I don't know he definitely didn't write Lady Bird but uh, she can work with anybody at this point stop working with Baumbach he's he's uh he's kind of mid <laughs> probably gets enough of him too last thing I want to talk about this movie this has an awful car chase, like just one of the worst half-assed weird <laughs> like car chases that I've ever seen. It's also like very much a, an ad for Chevy. There's like the bright, there are Chevys, right? Is that what the cars are? I don't even know. They're all in like the black SUVs and then yeah. the mom drives like the bright, bright blue car. But I just like, it was so uninteresting. There's like kind of a funny Scooby-Doo chase like right before that in the offices of Mattel which like maybe goes on for a little too long but I think is funny and effective but then once you take it out to the streets it's just stupid like it it just doesn't work it's it's not actiony in an interesting way and it's also not really serving the plot in any real way so it just doesn't work for me the movie Tetris earlier this year had like a shitty car trace in its third act I, I don't know what don't shoehorn dumb action sequences into movies that don't need them agreed when that happened too weren't you like when the tailgating black car she came up behind her and she like kicked it in the gear i was like oh there's gonna be a car chase <laughs> like yeah like i agree like you just don't need that in a movie like this and the action that we did get like you said was kind of just like comedic action where will ferrell's jumping over cubicles and, and stuff like that which is funny but it's not necessary for you know an actual car chase to go down so i'm on board with that too yeah yeah all right let's talk about the ugly cody what do you got I have a couple things kind of uh, really varying just categorically here, but off the bat, uh, my main actual ugly thing is, is a damn Snyder Cut reference. I don't know. <laughs> Why is that in here? Um, when I heard that, I, I let out an, an audible groan in the audience and nobody else said anything. And I was <laughs> like, this was made exactly for me and I freaking hated it. So that was my main thing. I, I think well, that, that was the thing. It's like, because i agree with the the sentiment right <laughs> like but at the same time it's like we don't need to give it any more i mean we were just talking yeah. about it on our last episode so we can't really say anything but <laughs> we don't need to talk about the snyder cut anymore than than we already have <laughs> just so out of place because for this for the audience that this movie's going out to i don't think anybody even really gets that joke that much that's i don't know it's for idiot moviegoers who are comic book fans and 
I don't think that really relates to this. I think genre. most the average person would be like, "Oh, I get, I get why this is funny because right. Snyder Bros are annoying, and it's the one that's like the most acceptable punching bag." You're not really gonna have too pe- too many people mad when you're making a Zack Snyder diss. No, I mean it's it's an easy <laughs> it's an easy line, obviously, but I don't think it's necessary. Um, and then I'm I'll just sw- complete. Well, I'll, sh- I'll throw it to you actually because I'm gonna completely switch it up. But I want to hear your uglies. I, this is tough because I just wrote this down in the movie. I don't know the exact context, but I remember in the movie, there's like this weird offhanded line that's like in reference to the plight of the characters and they compare it to like the indigenous peoples of America experiencing smallpox. And I just thought that was like a really like out of left field comparison to make. And again, I don't have the exact wording of context, but I just thought it was like completely unnecessarily and like not a similar connection to make. And I honestly thought it was kind of gross to see it used in the movie um so i wasn't a fan of that so that was my first ugly thing yeah i think that's definitely fair and basically i i created like a subcategory here because i feel like this movie does a good job of like avoiding some of the uglies that may come up so they kind of jumped in front of it and said no this is not going to be ugly even though you probably expect it to be in this movie so the first thing is and this is a throwaway line too but um i believe the daughter character calls uh, Barbie at one time the white savior character um, which I think is really funny and I mean it is kind of true in, in the context of the movie too so I love them kind of just getting in front of that and just me, like poking fun at it which I think is good and then the second one is kind of early on but it's when Barbie's getting hit on immediately when she comes into the real world and she's like I don't have a vagina like I don't have genitalia like I feel like that would have been all over like Twitter of like oh how come this wasn't addressed the entire movie do, do they have you know you know participles and stuff like this but i like how they jumped on that too and be like nope like this is the most unsexual like movie you'll ever see because we literally don't have genitals so well the main gripe that i have with this film just as a whole that kind of infects my my enjoyment of it a little bit is is going back to that thing of like this movie is made by mattel and it's like how much can you really critique the system when you are the system right like would this be a better movie if it was just a complete satire and parody not titled barbie but about a world of of characters that are that are dolls that don't know that they're dolls and then they experience like you could have the same ideas and not make it funded by barbie now at the same point at the same time when you do that you don't have the impact probably that a Barbie, you definitely don't have $360 million worth of people seeing it opening weekend. So it's a really tough thing where it's like, how do you juggle the fucking capitalistic society that we live in that's funded by major corporations and still do something that is progressive and positive? I think at the end of the day, this movie is a net positive, but it still makes me feel a little bit icky that I'm giving my money to a corporation that has profited off of the very things that this movie is critiquing for the last 60 years and is continuing to profit off those things and if we're being honest like what are the labor conditions of like barbie factories and like what are the like i mean that's true of every major corporation but that's the thing it's like that's where I, that's where i i, I draw the like where, where i begin to have issues because there is uh, a, a clear uh, clear ugliness to that um and in, uh, into the fact where it's like mattel's announced their slate of another 20 films are going to be making off of every single piece of IP they own. This is good because it's Greta Gerwig at the hands and she's able to provide a good social commentary. But when it's the 
J.J. Abrams Hot Wheels movie or the Magic 8-Ball horror movie, like what's the what's the big idea that we're really getting out there? I'm, I'm, I think we're reaching a slippery slope that's only going to get worse and worse from here. Yeah. Uh, you kind of convinced me I want to see a J.J. Abrams Hot Wheels movie. But, well, you uh, will see it. It's coming. <laughs> oh, man, I hope that's not real. But um, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, what we were saying before, it's kind of just like ironic money making in a sense um, from Mattel. And like I said, I don't know all the specifics of, of their company. I'm, I'm sure it's not something they would want anybody to delve into too much. But yeah, it is kind of tough because I feel like it, it would be hard just to get a society movie like this made without attaching a massive brand to it. And then it's like at the same time, if you do that, like maybe nobody will see it. So you might as well do go this route like, uh, you know, Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie did. So it is what it is. I, I completely agree. Um, Yeah, it looks like, well, it doesn't look like, oh, it says, yeah, J.J. Amherst is taxed. All right. Well, not seeing that. But um, anyways. <laughs> my, as long as it's not a trilogy, I think we'll be all right. He just well, <laughs> I could see him making a few movies. He can make a good first movie. <laughs> True. If he just starts it off, I feel like you have to cast like Vin Diesel or somebody too in that. But um, regardless, my other thing I did want to touch on here, and it's completely kind of just not about the movie at all. It's it's kind of just like back into the real world. But um, for some reason, this, and I guess it makes sense because this movie is it is political in a sense. And to be completely honest, I I'm not political at all. I. I motherfucking hate politics. It's funny that I did. I I know what you're about to say, and I have it written down. I was going to actually just not even mention it because I didn't feel like it was worth the time. But but go ahead, Cody, to talk about it. Well, it's probably going to be a little bit different because I don't look into anything really into into politics at all. But after I came out of the film, I usually obviously just go in and look at some of the other people's opinions online. Like I said, I usually like look at some YouTubers, Jeremy Johns, Dan Merle, the regular bunch that I use. And when I like search like Barbie review, there was like 10 clips before of all just like these news stations being like, oh, Barbie's this, Barbie's that. Barbie's saying, you know, uh, you know, we should bow down to these other nations. I'm like, I don't understand why these kind of political things have to be so involved with every single, every little thing in our lives where they just have to pick everything apart. I don't get it. Obviously, this movie is political and it's it's saying a lot about the kind of patriarchal you know society that has built up and i guess people are are threatened by that in a sense so i don't really understand that but i just wanted to say it's kind of an embarrassing world that we live in so kind of tough and uh just ruining youtube because all i wanted to see was my youtuber buddies <laughs> talk about barbie and all i got was all this you know new station garbage so kind of just tough you didn't hit exactly i thought you were gonna go the ben shapiro route i yeah, thought you were I gonna mean, shout that. that yeah, yeah. that's that guy's just you know he, he is what he is he doesn't deserve a shout out but yeah i mean that, that's the thing it's like when ben shapiro is making a review about a movie about how bad it is <laughs> it's probably a movie i want to go check out yeah. <laughs> probably a movie i'm interested in so uh in in terms of using his reviews to find movies you could you could definitely do it just in the inverse of his opinion <laughs> True. I mean, basically, just like any uh, any movie, just you know, starring like a couple women, he probably just has like zero stars for. So yeah, pretty good. I I, I should check out more of his reviews, probably. I guess, but he's not on my list yet. Just wait for the. Uh, I mean, you know, the uh, Daily uh, Wire produced Gina Carano flicks. That's that's what we want. Uh, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. And we're back with invite fight night totally invite your personal friend spider-man i want to fight you hans booby i'm your white knight cody who do you want to invite on the pod 
this was an interesting one. I this one took a little bit of thought. I think I ended up going with the character of Ruth, who's obviously the real life uh, creator of Barbie, and uh, I mean, in a sense, her character is who she is in real life here too. So I think it's a perfect pick of both worlds because she can kind of talk about the production of this movie altogether and just talk about the kind of historical context of, you know, Mattel and, and, you know, how the Barbie doll started off probably have a lot of, you know, interesting insight on, on some things that were going back on in the day and probably a lot of cool insight in just how this movie was made too. So I think it kind of be double trouble on, on a lot of her insight. Yeah. Shout out to, to Ruth hand, the original, the original Barbie maker. And we've already talked about both of the, the people kind of a little bit. So I want to get weird Barbie on. She's clearly the Barbie that has the uh, most just like general knowledge and could probably hold a serious conversation. I think weird Barbie's seen some movies and, and we could get into the nitty gritty about what it all means. Um, let's talk Toy Story with weird Barbie. And then after that, let's get whoever made that Mount Horsemore sculpture, because that's a true artist. And I really want to, you know, examine the uh, different inspirations that they took uh, to create that. What horses are those? Are they like Secretariat and Seabiscuit or who are Warhorse, these? Warhorse, Warhorse for sure. Um, uh, I only know three. What's another famous that one? That, that one that won the Triple Crown a couple years ago. Uh, what about a movie horse? There's got to be another one. Spirit, yes, Spirit, Spirit Horse. It was yeah, I actually I think I saw that movie. That movie was called Spirit, right? I think so. That was an okay movie. It wasn't the worst. Or is that DreamWorks? I think I think it was Disney, but I don't remember. It's that mid two thousands, just kind of mid animation. Spirit, but, Stallion of Cimarron. DreamWorks, DreamWorks. Sorry, it was DreamWorks. Okay, it was during like I said that. You know who that, stars in Spirit, Stallion of Cimarron, Cody? Let me guess. Uh, Keanu Reeves. Matt Damon. <laughs> oh, that was actually a good guess. Yeah. You know who did the music for Spirit? Uh, Metallica. No, Hans Zimmer. <laughs> <laughs> That's not on Hans' uh, top five on IMDb, I don't think, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, all-time horse. Uh, yeah, all-time horse sculpture right there. And uh, I want to get to the bottom of it. Just yeah. at the very least, we could ask that question. Who are the four yeah. horses? It was probably the four, Maybe it's the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Mm. Shout out X-Men Apocalypse. Apocalypse, great movie. Let's move swiftly on. Corbin, who, who are you going to fight in this movie? I think we got to go for uh, Will Ferrell's character, the CEO. He's clearly just kind of like the, uh, I mean, Ken is a bit of an antagonist, but also he, like, there's a few different antagonists in this film, quote unquote. Um, but to me, I, I think Will Ferrell is the easiest target, despite, you know, maybe having a positive turn at the end. We, we got to take down the, uh, the patriarchy where it begins at Mattel. And, and it, clearly I have the most beef with Mattel, so it would make the most sense that I fight them. <laughs> Fair enough. And uh, I'm on board for that. I'm surprised he didn't get uh, decked in the face at least once in this movie, so definitely deserved. Uh, my fight, it's another obvious pick, but I already mentioned him too. It's the guy who just came up out of nowhere and just slapped Margot Robbie in the ass. Yeah, kind of just an asshole and not a good guy. So he did get decked in the face, obviously, here, but I think I got a left hand for the other side, so uh, it, it's incoming here quickly, yeah. Knight Cody, who do you want to knight? And I'm shocked this character has not come up already. Uh, it is Michael Sarah's Allen, who I'm going to knight for this flick. And it's for a couple of reasons, but I mean, first off, he does kind of take the Barbie side. He doesn't fall into this kind of Ken, um, you know, coming back and taking control. So shout out to him on that. Kind of a weird casting and a weird character, but obviously it's Barbie lore, so I'm not, you know, he's just Allen Cody. Just Allen, I guess that was a, that was a big thing back in the day. But secondly, too, he has. 
like the only good action scene i think where he just beats the crap out of a bunch of construction cans uh, which is like a funny kind of visual comedy thing too where they're just building straight up a wall and then he just beats the crap out of all of them so shout out michael Sarah. i didn't know he's this massive action star since um scott pilgrim but he's really uh been missing out on it so i, I like that he got to do a little bit of that here michael Sarah, he is a uh, mean fighting machine and you better stay away from him, Cody. It's also a redhead, evidently. Didn't know that. My night is just going to be all my sex education peeps. You talked about it a little bit earlier, but uh, clearly, I said it in my letterbox review as well, but clearly, like, somebody in the making of this movie, whether it's Greta Gerwig or just, like, the casting director, is a fan of that show. Um, I think there's three actors from the uh, the TV mm. show in this. Connor Swindells, who obviously plays the intern at Mattel, Emma Mackey, which is kind of a play on the fact that her and, and Margot Robbie both look alike, but she's playing one of the Barbies featured in the background of, of your very own uh, background. And then, of course, uh, Shudi Gatwa, who we've we've talked about as the uh, the new Doctor Who. He plays one of the kids. So clearly big fans and new season of Sex Education, season four, the final season coming at us, Netflix, this fall, I think the end of September, um, maybe we'll see a first Friday five episode about it. Uh, I would definitely recommend checking it out though, if you've never watched it. Maybe, uh, I'll, I'll have to binge watch for last season, but I do think that, uh, Emma Mackey and, um, and, uh, Margot Robbie, they do look similar. They just kind of changed their hair color, obviously in this one, so they don't look that much. And where's the butter boy, man? No butter boy in this movie. Sad stuff. That that was my letterbox review is that he would have made yeah. a great Alan. I mean, listen, Michael Sarah honestly is, is great for the role, but. Number two, Ace of Butterfield. Put him in. I agree. <laughs> He's definitely not Ken, that's for sure. The recast, Cody. Bond. James Bond. My name's Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. Who do you want to recast in this movie? I mean, off the top, I actually want to get rid of Alan here. Um, so... I don't, I don't really know why Michael Sarah was cast in this. I think he's fine, but I want to go a different direction, more meta. G- give me Ed Sheeran. I don't know. Why not? I mean, you got Dua Lipa as a, uh, as a mermaid. Also, a, I true, a true ginger. Is that what you want? And that's what I'm saying, too, because Michael Sarah is not a ginger, and he looks kind of weird with red hair, I think. So I was thinking of, like, gingers in Hollywood. There's actually not that many. I was thinking of uh, Rupert Grint or along that <laughs> lines, but he's not going to do this. Like you got to get a big name. I feel like, and Ed Sheeran, he's, he's delved into acting. He was in that one game of Thrones episode. So I think he'd be all right. And of course sure. he'd get a, sound, he'd get a, a song on the soundtrack too. So it's kind of a win-win uh, soundtrack is pretty good already with Dua Lipa. And I think it's Lizzo and um, some ice spice, Nicki Minaj for the credits. Nicki Minaj, that's that the other big one too. Ice spice. Yeah. She's all right, I guess, but not, not, not up to the par of those other artists. I don't think. But I forgot to mention, too, we've been talking about John Cena this entire podcast. What's that guy doing in this movie? I, I don't understand that too much. Do you want to recast him? Do you have a different mermaid pick? Uh, no, I don't. But give me Jason Momoa, obviously. But <laughs> yeah. I have a couple Warner more. Brothers, it would make more sense. but uh, it, it would. But uh, I'm going to replace the mother-daughter uh, duo entirely. But I'll throw it over to you first. Give me some I only I do only have one pick here, and uh, I'm going to replace Will Ferrell as the CEO. And I'm going <laughs> to take his uh, classic counterpart. John C. Riley, you're getting another of Will Ferrell's jobs, buddy. <laughs> um, I think John C. Riley is just a better serious actor. And I think that like 
while he can play the most outlandish, goofy shit that Will Ferrell can do, he can also do like the hard drama a lot more effectively than Ferrell. So I think his range is just greater. And I think uh, that a little bit of the seriousness would have gone a long way in this film. Yeah, fair enough. Will Ferrell right now is having uh, flashbacks of uh, the basketball show on Max. He, he did not like that at all. He thinks I'm Adam McKay probably. He's going to try to fight me. <laughs> Oh yeah, I like that. John C. Riley probably is the better of the of the two there. Um, but like I said, and actually I misspoke. I'm gonna first off just recast the mom here. I think she was what I know her from most. I think is she was on Ugly Betty, which I never really watched, but I just know her from that America Ferrera. I said give me uh, Aquafina uh, in this role. I don't know why. I think just comedically, I think she'd have a little bit better timing. And obviously, the the uh, America Ferrera has a a pretty big monologue you know nearing the third act and i think she does pretty good in that but i think a little bit more quippiness would have helped so give me a little aquafina action obviously it's a little younger but that's what i was gonna say do you think i think she's probably a little too young for yeah well you know she's 35 i mean she could be a mom of a a kid that age yeah just you know who cares ages in in non-factor these days um then secondly i'm actually not going to replace the daughter that was my Avengers little snippet. I, I do like her in Infinity War. I'm actually going to replace um, her dad, the mom's husband, who his only thing is he's learning Spanish, which I don't, I don't even know why that's in the movie altogether because it's not really funny. But my replacement, again, just go big on these side characters because you've done it for everybody else. Give me Brad Pitt. Like, just throw him in there. <laughs> like, I feel like Brad Pitt would want to be in this movie, too. So, and, and making it so that he's not a kin is kind of funnier as well. Yeah. yeah. And it, he does, like, little cameo roles, too. Like, he did Deadpool 2 in, in that tiny little role. So he, he'd definitely do it. But, yeah, I wanted to include him in this as well. I like that pick a lot. Rating, Cody. What do you want to rate this movie out of 69? Do you like me? I think we might be in the similar range here. I'm going to go a little bit on the lower end, personally. I'm going to go a 56 out of 69. I think comedy-wise, um, like just from a comedy movie standpoint, this is a pretty good film. I think I don't rate comedies in general that high. Probably Grown Ups is ahead of this, um, but that's fair, obviously. I, I like this movie a lot, but there are some little things I don't like, but definitely still a good flick overall. Cody, we're we're in we're in sync with the the one offs today. Um, oh. I'm a little lower than you this time with the 55. However, mm. wow. um, I, I agree. Like, I think this is like the best version of this movie that you could possibly make. But the yeah. fact of the matter is, like, I don't know. Like, a Barbie movie is never going to be my favorite movie of all time because it's just not necessarily within my particular set of interests. But I can still respect how incredibly well done this was, how funny it was, how the production design was well done. It was tech, a technical achievement while it's still not, you know, my favorite movie. Ever. I mean, like I said, this movie was not made for, for us specifically, but I mean, I, I still enjoyed it a lot. So props to them for even, you know, accomplishing that. Is it your favorite Greta Gerwig movie? Kevin? God, no. <laughs> and I haven't, I haven't seen Little Women. I've only seen two Greta Gerwig flicks. This, this slots in nicely at number two for now definitely you know you did give lady bird a 59 so a little bit did and that was a bit of a harsh score that was i think like season one or season two where my rating system was kind of all over the place i think a rescore on uh, lady bird would be probably around the 64 65 range to be fair but yeah i'd say i I like that movie significantly more let's move on to you might also like who knows you might like it it's a killer rush which is a new category that we're breaking out today where we're going to give you recommendations 
based on the movie we discussed. So today, of course, Barbie. What will people also like if they like Barbie too? I have a couple suggestions here. Um, my first one, it's a little bit different of a film. It's a lot less family friendly, but it's still comedy based. Um, and this is completely obvious, but uh, Bridesmaids is one of my favorite comedies of all time. A lot more raunchy, but it also has something to say at the same time. It is a bit more cliche and kind of its ending and everything like that. I love Bridesmaids. The cast is amazing. Melissa McCarthy, probably her best role of all time, in my opinion. Uh, and then you got the Maya Rudolph, Chris and Wig, strong duo of the gate too. But yeah, just honestly, one of the funniest films. Um, that's one of my personal favorites. So that, that's got to be my rec off the top. If if you do like this movie and you're not like 10 years old, I'd definitely recommend Bridesmaids. And you don't have to change out of your pink to watch Bridesmaids. You can, you can keep it on. It's perfectly okay. Palette. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is a little bit of an obvious one, and we've talked about it a little bit already. But like, if you haven't checked out Francis Ha, I would definitely recommend that. Obviously, Lady Bird and Little Women are the more seen ones of Greta Gerwig's filmography. But she co-wrote the movie, directed by Bombach. She stars in it. It's very growing up in New York, um, kind of being a struggling artist. Um, in her late 20s. There's a lot of great stuff in terms of coming of age, especially that like later, that adult coming of age, that mid-20s, early 30s thing. And also a fun little fact about it, that movie, Cody, was edited by Jennifer Lane, the same person who edited Oppenheimer, edited Francis Ah. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. So there's a little nice. big connection right there. Jennifer Lane, shout out to her. There's the Barbenheimer connection we needed. Everything, everybody can be friends now. I love that. <laughs> Any other uh, recommendations you have for the for fans of Barbie? Well, uh, my other one was, I mean, if you genuinely like this movie, <laughs> go fucking watch Lady Bird. I mean, <laughs> that's completely obvious, but it needs to be said, I feel like. That's just an, an immaculate movie, I think. And in comparison to this, like I said, if you like just the themes of this movie, I think you'll love Lady Bird a lot. So I kind of want to rewatch Lady Bird after, after watching Barbie. I'm not going to lie. Lego movie. That's a, doing a very similar thing to this one, taking yeah. uh, a toy essentially and packing in some bigger, greater real world ideas about what it means to be alive. Um, and then this is the classic wreck for me that, you know, this might hint to some future episodes, but if you want a good movie about toys, go check out Small Soldiers. No. <laughs> classic disney film talk about societal issues and toys my guy stay tuned people we're gonna be talking small soldiers sooner <laughs> rather than later oh season six is uh kicking it off with the bang baby small soldiers but lego movie i do like i have a question for you actually did you ever see the second one because i never saw it i don't think i did ever see the lego movie too and you uh, know what else i haven't seen the lego batman <laughs> oh i actually that one i actually recommend i do like the lego batman movie but um, I like the first Lego movie too. So I don't know why they made a sequel, I guess, to be fair. But I don't know why I've never I've never seen it either. Uh, it's probably just not the best, I guess. But uh, too much Chris Pratt is too much Chris Pratt, I guess. But yeah, I, I'd recommend the first one too. I think it is pretty good. All right, next category, the final question. All right, listen, I got one last question for you. Our last thoughts on Barbie. We're each going to ask each other one final question. I'll start. Cody, will Ryan Gosling be nominated for the role of Ken at the Academy Awards next year? That's a tough one. Best Supporting Actor, I feel like, is a pretty packed category normally. Uh, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. I think he'll get nominated for Best Original Song, 
Um, Something we I, have not talked about yet, which I, I wanted yeah. to bring up here as well. Yeah. Uh, great. I mean, I, I guess he's the performer, so I don't know. It's, it's written by Mark Ronson, so I, maybe they share the award. I don't know. Yeah, probably. I saw that um, probably his biggest competition right now is Jack Black from uh, Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> I think that'd be a fun head-to-head uh, come Oscar season. Yeah, I, I want to see uh, <laughs> I want to see Jack Black and Ryan Gosling go at it. I you do, I do agree. Him? He's not going to get nominated though. Okay. I don't think so. I think Margot Robbie will probably get nominated. I, I I agree with that, but I I just think the thing is like this movie. I don't know. I don't know if it gets a best picture nom. It's really going to depend how release dates go in the fall and what things yeah. get pushed back. Obviously, this is an extremely popular movie, but at the end of the day, it's like it is big IP, and that's not necessarily what the Oscars have historically gone for. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I think Margot Robbie gets in just because of everything she's done up to this point, even as yeah. a whole. I would think that Greta Gerwig has a better chance of best director than um a best picker nom but there is 10 noms now and they do go with more of the mainstream stuff too so i, I wouldn't be shocked at all if i got a best picture nom too yeah it, those categories are tough where it's five i mean you know nolan seems like a lock scorsese I mean, there's no way that dude doesn't get nominated this year so it's like there's two taken already i mean fincher's got a movie coming out there there's a lot of movies coming out man michael mann uh there's the fucking napoleon movie from ridley scott i mean there's some Bradley huge shit huge yeah. white male directors that are directing films yeah. this year that might might take up the spots from Gerwig, but I, I think she'd be deserving of a nom for sure. I, I would go on a limb and say she'll probably get a, a best director nom. I would think so, but like I said, it's early. Who knows? Um, my final question for you, I kind of just want to do a more more of a personal one for you here because I know you do like uh, Greta Gerwig a lot. Mm. So I'll have I'll have a, an initial question here. If I'm too easy for you, I'll probably ask a follow up, but. Out of uh, these three of her her main movies here, which one would you say is your least favorite? Uh, Lady Bird, Francis Ha, and Barbie. This movie is actually my least favorite okay. number three, believe it or not. Um, I mean, obviously, Lady Bird is like one of my four favorites of all time, but um, I do think I like Little Women more than this one. I will admit I have not seen it since 2019 when I first watched it, like around the time that it came out. Um, so maybe I need to rewatch it, but I think I would rate it higher than Barbie. And uh, Sersha, man, Sersha and Timmy, if they were in this movie, maybe it'd make the maybe yeah. make the top uh, top two. But I'm shocked they kind of weren't stand-ins at least in the background. Honestly, they were supposed to be in the movie at some point, some role, but just like scheduling wise, it, it didn't work out. So yeah, fair. Also, uh, out of Francis Ha and Lady Bird, which one do you uh, like more? I, I do like Lady Bird more as a movie. I think the script in Francis Ha I enjoy more. But uh, they're both like in my top 30, I think. I think Francis Ha is top 30. <laughs> well, respect. I just wanted to, uh, to kind of feel out your psyche there. Here's a question for you. Which one do you like more, Francis Ha or Oppenheimer? Which one do you think? Mm, probably Francis Ha, I would think. Top 30. They're right next to each other. Yeah. Oppenheimer at 30 and Francis Ha at 31. Oh, wow. So I guess Oppenheimer just pushed Francis Ha out of the top yeah. 30, unfortunately. Greta Gerwig is not too happy right now. Hey, but I'll tell you who is happy. Jennifer Lane is happy, the editor of both of them. <laughs> shout out to her. Shout out to Jennifer Lane. Like I said, the, the connector of all movies here. 
in uh, in Barbenheimer weekend. Next category, the three movie mini draft. Well, it is draft day. This is a new thing we're going to be doing at the end of every episode. We're going to be drafting three movies each based on whatever our movie of the episode is. We're going to come up with a little bit of a, a stipulation, a category. Today, we're building teams of female-directed films. Yeah. Cody, since I picked the category, you get the first pick. Ooh. Take it away. What's the first draft pick? Oh, man. This is difficult. I, and off, off the preface here, there are a lot of good things to pick through. But I feel like you're probably going to pick something specific in the first spot. But I don't want my pick to get taken after it. But I'm just going to go for it regardless. 1-1. One, one, I mean, I got to go Lady Bird. I've been talking it up. I really, really like that movie. Saoirse Ronan, crazy underrated. Uh, like I said, Greta Gerwig, directional-wise, I think that may be the best she'll do in her career. And I just want to call out, I think you were a real hater on that episode. So I was. <laughs> I agree. Like I said, I that rating is ridiculously low, I think. And I love that movie a lot. Uh, Timmy Chalamet is bad in it, but everything else is gold. <laughs> so, yeah, I got to take that 1-1. One, one. Okay, just, I respect just that. You, just to spite you, too. But yeah. that, that was definitely my 1-1 one, one pick. Um, but I I think I know where you're going with two and it's, it's probably where I'm going as well. And I got to go Mary Heron's American psycho, just a, a classic, you know, film bro pick there. But to me, I mean, Christian Bale, iconic performance and uh, a real deep look at the world of American capitalism and wall street. I think that movie's okay. I actually don't love that movie. I think as, as much as pretty much everybody else in the movie community does, uh, Christian Bale, Willem Dafoe. I mean, I love that, but um, I think also, I know. I, I think I now know where you wanted to go here, and it, it's going to uh, be sad when it goes. But yeah, that's going. I'm gonna be happy though. But yeah, good pick. That is a really very well directed movie too. Out of everything we'll talk about, that's probably up there. Uh, my second pick is is the easiest of all time here. I'm gonna go the Hurt Locker with uh, Catherine Bigelow. Um, I think as far as horror movies goes, um, this is up there for me and. Just the intensity of like diffusing these bombs, I think, is really, really interesting. Jeremy Renner, you know, some say he can't act. Some some are probably right, but he's pretty dang good in this movie. And even like the opening scene, which is forgotten, I feel like, with like Guy Pierce and, and uh, him not being able to diffuse this thing, really intense. And I think just really good all around. So Prime Jeremy got, Renner, best Jeremy Renner. What do you think? I would think. I mean, he's the town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the town. He is good, but that's that is pretty supporting. Um, I mean, this is after- is this the movie that like everyone's like, let's put him in every big, let's put him in Mission Impossible, let's put him in Jason Bourne. Bourne. Like, yeah, I think I, I think it was this movie probably. Yeah, probably overhyped him a little bit, so that's definitely a a negative overall. But yeah, Catherine Bigelow, heck of a director, definitely deserved of uh, the Best Picture winner that year as well. And um, spoiler alert. I am probably going to pick another one of our movies after this. So I'll throw it back over to you, though, because I definitely Well, spoiler alert, that's the movie I thought you were going to take, and it's the yeah. movie I want. It's Point Break. <laughs> Shout out Johnny Utah. Why are you taking uh, Point Break? Point uh, Break's a fucking awesome movie, dude. I know, Keanu I know. Reeves, they're robbing shit. They're surfers. Patrick Swayze's got great, great hair, um, and it inspired uh, a franchise of, of wonderful Vin Diesel films as well. So <laughs> got to take Point Break. All-time L.A. film. True. It also uh, had a terrible reboot. Um, probably the worst of all time, but that was going to be my third pick. I thought that was definitely going to slip, so that's pretty disappointing because I love Point Break. Utah! Give me two. Uh, Gary Busey's great in that flick, too. Um, Luke, Br- Luke Bracey plays Johnny Utah. Yeah, is that uh, the guy in 22 Jump Street? He's in G.I. Joe. Uh, 
Mm. He's in Hacksaw Ridge. Mm. I, I don't think he's in Twenty Two Jump Street. He's really, he's really not in. I'm in thinking of a, a different lot. blonde guy. I think, but whatever. Um, my third pick here. I mean, you can go a lot of different different directions. Obviously, I'm well. I could go the fun route or the dramatic route. I think I'll go the fun route. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna base this off if we're doing like polls and stuff because I was gonna take Point Break anyways. But my third pick, I'm gonna take uh, another Cap episode that we have done. Uh, Clueless. Uh, shout out uh, Mina Naki. That was a really fun episode, I think. But obviously directed by Amy Heckerling. Um, I just really like that movie in general. Obviously crazy iconic. There's some problematic stuff, possibly with Paul Rudd, but we look past it because it's it's a lot of fun and like I said, just really iconic '90s stuff there. So. As if I was going to leave Clueless out of this draft. Come on. I recently saw a TikTok and it it raises a good point that it's the uh, it's an underlooked stoner movie. Shout out Clueless. There. Yeah, true. <laughs> I had two picks left and Clueless was one of the two, so you've narrowed it down. I do want to shout out a couple films. You know, recent movies, Promising Young Woman and Zola, are two uh, that I would shout out. And then of course, you know, Lost in Translation from Sofia Coppola, early two thousands movie. But the movie I'm going to take here is Patty Jenkins's. Wonder Woman, uh, mm. 2017 Gal Gadot. You recently watched that. To me, nice. it is uh, one of the better DC films, definitely in the top three. So that's a shout out right there. And uh, it is the proof that like you can make a movie with a female superhero. I know it's fucking crazy, but like DC did it and they did it fucking well. Uh, and uh, they weren't afraid to take that risk, surprisingly. And it, it was really successful. So I got to go Wonder Woman 3-3 here. Good pick. I that was actually off even my honorable mentions. I completely forgot about that, but I love that movie. Yeah. What was your uh, What was your honorable mention there that you, you had it narrowed down to? I was looking at Selma, obviously directed Ava by Duneray, Ava Duvernay. Yes. Duvernay. Yeah, I really like that movie a lot, but it's it's too serious, you know, too much subject matter to go in my draft. I also had uh, Nomadland down too. Obviously, Chloe Zhao, Best Picture winner, is is definitely an honorable mention. Didn't want to take Eternals, fan favorite. I was thinking about it. I, I don't hate that movie. So uh, maybe hasn't aged the best. Bill Skarsgård, you know, that CGI monster is just too bad, I think. Little Women, also a good draft pick. But when, when Lady Bird's off the board, my heart is broken. That's, that's the truth. So. <laughs> Sad. You took point break from me, so you got me right back. <laughs> Weekly watches. What have we been into this past week, Cody? Karen, honey, uh, what do you watch? Obviously, we did just record, but what did you say for the Barbie episode? <laughs> And funny enough, uh, one of the things I did finish up was uh, Wonder Woman 84. Um, I believe a couple episodes ago, I said I'd started like the first half hour and it was interesting. Oh, man, it got very interesting after that. Um, one word <laughs> to describe yeah, it. I, I just don't like the villains at all. And it's pretty much the main focus of the film. Also, it's just a raw revolved around this this mystical, magical stone that just came out of nowhere. And I don't know if it has anything actually to do with Wonder Woman. So it's whatever but pedro pascal's terrible um christian wick's okay but i mean just she just turns into this you know she doesn't really have anything to do yeah and it's just garbage cgi so i don't know i, I like the costume of wonder woman at the end with the the gold crap but past that, never see that again so no pretty pretty bad comic movie if i'm being honest so patty jenkins did well in the first one i don't know what the hell is happening on the second but no good uh and then the other flick i actually checked out too which I'd never seen before was uh, Wes Anderson's first film, uh, Bottle Rocket. Um, I'm not I sure saw you like that. Yeah, but uh, I still haven't seen Asteroid City for some reason. I think that's coming out 
Sanderson. I was like, hey, have I not seen any of kind of Wes Anderson's other stuff? And I was looking around and uh, it's only like, I think, 95 or something minutes long. And I had a little bit of time. So like, hey, I'll just knock this out quick. But I actually enjoyed it. I mean, obviously, it's a very low budget film being Wes Anderson's first. And it's just centered around pretty much these two brothers of Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson. I actually don't know if they're brothers in the movie. They, it really seems like it, I would think. But obviously, they're brothers in real life, too. So I just associated that. But it's kind of like just them doing crime a little bit or Owen Wilson trying to get into crime. But it's more so about like Luke Wilson and this love story, uh, which I didn't expect. But I liked it. I mean, it wasn't anything crazy. And obviously, on no budget. It's pretty hard to make something, you know, unbelievably good. But I thought for a first film, it was, it was a good stepping stone. And I enjoyed it. So I'd recommend it if you haven't seen Bob Rocket. Yeah, I actually haven't seen the full Bottle Rocket movie, but I did watch the Bottle Rocket short film that uh, Wes Anderson first made that mm. got him the very little bit of funding that he was then able to go on and, and produce the, the full Bottle Rocket feature. With nice. uh, This one's fun because it is a co- co-written by him and Owen Wilson together, which is fun about yeah. Bottle Rocket. And Owen Wilson is actually really good in it because it's not kind of his typical role. He's kind of, um, I don't know, he's kind of just like a maniac a little bit of an asshole just kind of not socially aware at all he does have kind of there's a line in there too where and i don't know why this stuck out to me but it was my letterbox review too but there's this dick character who's i think it's luke wilson's or it's somebody else's brother or something no it's it's the third guy in the crew it's his uh, his brother but he calls owen wilson kimasabi and i feel like in the cars franchise owen wilson always says kimasabi as lightning queen so I don't know if that translated over, uh, you know, unconsciously or something, but I thought that was pretty funny. He's just obsessed with the word, I guess, maybe. Well, he doesn't even say it. Somebody calls him Kimosa when he gets But all then that. he begins, he becomes, the, yeah. he has to say it in cars. <laughs> he has to live out his lightning McQueen yeah. Kimosabi moment. Weird stuff. What's your weekly watches, if you have any? Um, one last thing that uh, officially released on Netflix this past weekend, kind of overshadowed by the Barbie and Oppenheimer releases, is this movie called They Clone Tyrone, which stars John Boyega and Jamie Foxx, kind of existing in the post-Get Out social commentary movie, you know, like bigger ideas about race and culture and socioeconomic status thrown into a movie. especially like a genre film. This is like a science fiction one rather than um, a horror movie. But I really thought it was it was really interesting. It kind of exists in this like fut- retro futuristic 70s style, but it's got this really cool premise about uh, kind of cloning and it's kind of a mystery that's unraveling throughout. And I, I would definitely recommend people go check it out. Kiefer Sutherland kind of plays this villain that pops up um kind of halfway through the movie and uh it's really fun jamie fox is just uh having fun chewing up scenery playing a pimp named uh slick charles <laughs> and uh john big is there as a drug dealer named fontaine and also uh tiana paris as a uh, yo-yo which is a is a hooker in the film it's great as well so just i mean i like john boyega so he also hates the last jedi so shout out to him <laughs> that is true he he does not hate it he says it's his least favorite of the trilogy which I guess placing it below the rise of Skywalker has to Must say a lot bad. about it. Yeah, it shows how bad it is. <laughs> well, this has been uh, our first episode of season six. Thank you for uh, joining us for this Barbenheimer special. Yeah, stay tuned, obviously, for a lot more coming this season. Going to be a lot of fun stuff, but hope you guys enjoyed uh, the Barbenheimer uh, weekend as much as we did, but definitely stick around for a lot more. Go see movies. Movies are fun. True. Love it. Keep packing the theaters, baby.
and stay cabin. Peace. Peace. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it.